All right, guys, if you would, please welcome the Impact City Church. Uh, if you would, please open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Uh, guys, I got to say, uh, in regards to Carly and Teresa and David, you guys did awesome. You guys, give them a round of applause. Thank you. We literally hadn't practiced. I think we did like half a practice, and then Carly hadn't had time to really practice, you know, in the, the this last week. And so we've just been kind of, uh, you know, kind of winging it when it comes to worship. And so uh, I, I think today hearing the voices of all you guys singing back, Oceans was just a beautiful, beautiful noise to hear. And it really kind of get the hairs in the back of my neck stand up. And I was kind of thinking for once, maybe this actually, this church thing we're doing might actually work. So, um, yeah, praise God for that. Uh, again, Happy New Year. You guys turn to Mark 1. Mark 1 is where we're going to be. I'm excited and yet nervous to start this new series in Mark. I'm excited uh, because of one thing, we're, and, and I'm nervous because of another thing. I'm nervous because of this. I'm nervous because the gospel is what we're going to be going through. And we're going to be going through the gospel of Mark, okay? And I'm nervous because the gospel is bad news before it is good news to us. Amen? The gospel is bad news to us before it is good news to us. And I'll tell you why. The gospel is bad news because it exposes our wickedness and our dirtiness. And it leads us to this question that we all must face once we hear the gospel. Once we hear the gospel, we are faced with this question. We're faced whether or not we're going to follow Christ or ignore him. And so I'm excited about that, that we get to be confronted with that question throughout the next year as we go through the book of Mark. Uh, that question of whether we follow or we're going to ignore him. I'm excited because the gospel is good news to us after it is bad news to us. The story of Jesus Christ coming to earth and dying for our sins and dying for the sins of everyone is, should be good news for us. And it doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter how far you have gone. It doesn't matter the dirtiness and the wickedness that you are inside. God says, I will send my son to die for you. My perfect son to die for you. And that is exciting news. I don't care who you are. That is great, great news. And so we're going to start... Uh, with the gospel of Mark today, the very first Sunday in, of the year 2014. And I'm, I'm estimating this to take about uh, a year, if not longer. I already just looked at chapter one. I'm thinking eight weeks in chapter one alone. So it's going to draw out. And so I'm excited about that. We're entitling it Mark the King and His Cross. And the reason we're calling it the King and His Cross because if you look at the book of Mark, it's actually split up into two different sections. Mark had two different objectives when he wrote the book of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said that the first objective was to claim that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, Yahweh, was the new king. That he was the king. And in the second half of Mark, he kind of focuses on the death of the king. And he focuses on the cross and the redeeming love and the redeeming blood of Jesus Christ that has been shed for us. So that's where we get the, the theme, a king and his cross. Are you guys ready to start, Mark? Okay, you guys are so enthusiastic. Go open, please, up to Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Mark 1, verse 1 says this. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Son of God. Now hold up right there. 
like, like just hold up right there. Because as we, as we look at Mark, and as we look at, 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 the, at the way he writes his book, and we look at the way he, he kind of explains everything, that we're going to look at things in Mark that you might have never seen before. Okay, and this is one of them. This is the very first one out the gate or out the box. We find one of these little nuggets of truth in here in the book of Mark. It says that uh, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Why is that verse so important? Why is that verse so important to the remainder of the text? Let me tell you this. That verse is so important that if it was not in this chapter, if it was not in this verse, the rest of Mark might as well just be a children's coloring book. Because the first verse is what we call a declaration. You're writing notes. Verse 1 is a declaration. That's why it's so important. It declares something to us. It makes a statement. It draws a line in the sand. It says that the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Why is that so important? Because listen, listen, listen. The gospel simply means the good news. And not every gospel will save you. In fact, there's only one gospel that will save you. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Last week, uh, we were in a bit of a jam. Uh, my car was, wouldn't start. It was getting messing up. And then he the, the was making this weird noise, like, every time I turned it on, and it was like a screeching noise. And I was like freaking out. I didn't know what to do. And I had just pulled it out of the shop. I had replaced like $600 worth of, you know, repairs on the dang thing. And, and I'm just going to tell you, it's a Chrysler. I was, um, you know, that's probably the reason why, you know. And, and it was, you know, the Chrysler got bought out by Fiat this week. Did y'all know that? Now they're Italian cars. Yeah. There is hope. Someone yells out Beretta. Thank you my rednecks. And so, my fellow rednecks. And so, and so, the Chrysler was giving me problems. And I told Sarah, like, I've had it. I'm done. Like, okay, the cost of repairs versus the cost of a payment of a car does not add up. Well, I had to bite the bullet and we had to go buy a new vehicle. And so we went out to the dealership. It was the coldest day this last week. It was raining down in like the, you know, like early 40s. You know, it was cold, wet, nasty. The perfect time to buy a car because no one wants to stand outside and really negotiate too much. They'll give you whatever you want. You're out there. They're freezing and you got your gloves on. You're like, yeah, I want you to drop a 10 grand. They're like, okay, whatever. I just want to go inside, you know. And so so we were up there, man. and, And good news, the good news, the good news is we bought us a new car. Praise God and we got it for a good price. And and, and that's the good news, okay? But listen, listen, that's great news. That is the gospel of how Felix got a new car for a great price. But listen, it's great. It's awesome. It's encouraging. It's a blessing from God. But listen, it will not save you in the end. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the only thing that will save you. And Mark knows this. And Mark knows this, and this is why it is so important that he puts it at the very forefront of his gospel. Listen, the rest of this year will not do you any good if you don't realize the fact that this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's continue. Uh, The the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, it says, uh, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, 
It says, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Okay? Mark is talking about John the Baptist guy here, okay? If you know anything about John the Baptist, he was the guy that came before Jesus. He was kind of going to prepare the way. Well, I want to do, we're going to learn a little bit more about John the Baptist a little later. We're going to learn how he dressed and all that, what he ate. He had a really weird diet. You think your diet's weird? His is even weirder. Um, but I want to focus on what Mark is quoting here and what John was quoting when he was out in the wilderness. I want to focus on Isaiah 40. So uh, it's not on the screen, but you can turn there if you want. Isaiah 40, uh, verses 1 and 2. So we're going to be real quickly, and then we'll get right back into Mark. Isaiah 40 says this. It says, uh, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her. That her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins, okay? The book of Isaiah, much like the book of Mark, is kind of broken up into two parts. Part one, uh, Israel, we suck, we've sinned, and God's wrath is coming for us in the form of an army, in the form of other lands coming upon us to conquer us. That's the first part, okay? That's like chapters 1 through 39. Chapter 40 starts off like this. Uh, we suck, we messed up, but God has grace and mercy and is willing to pardon our sins. And he has an amazing plan. Yes, we might go through a little bit of wrath because we've messed up and it's kind of inevitable. But at the end, God has a way of redeeming us. And this is where, 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 where John was quoting from. This is exactly where he was drawing from, the point where hope is introduced into the land. Where hope is introduced into the people of Israel. If we keep reading here, it says this. This is verse 3 in Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40 verse 3. He says, the voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make straight the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain hill will be made low and the uneven ground shall become level and the rough places will become a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all the flesh shall see it together and the mouth of the Lord has spoken this. Mark is pulling uh, this message of hope uh, that was spoken by God, by the Lord in Isaiah 40, okay? See, back in the day of Isaiah, the nation of Israel was in a little bit of a dismay, okay? And they were kind of messed up, okay? Babylon's coming around, and they're fixing to get conquered and be, you know, taken away from their homeland. And they're kind of in a distraught kind of mood. And when, when, when Isaiah was writing this, everything's kind of just messed up. And so when John the Baptist grows up, he starts quoting a scripture from this time because when he rolls up, his time is just like that as well. So he's not quoting some scripture from way back in Genesis. He's quoting a scripture from, from when everything's messed up. When John rolls up on the scene, there's been a great time of silence from God, and everyone is wondering, where the heck is this God that we've been worshiping? Where is God at? Because for 400 years, there's been nothing from God. Nothing's been going on. It's been quiet. It's been dead. Nothing's been going on. And they're expecting a Savior. They're like, where is our Savior? Where is our Messiah? Where is the one that's going to come save today? And they're distraught. They're dismayed. And they're, they're just really down on their luck. This is where John the Baptist starts coming in. And he starts 
paving the road. He starts preparing the way for Jesus. And if we're honest to ourselves, for many of us, this is where we were when we first started getting the idea of Jesus in our head. When someone started paving the way for Jesus in our hearts. Let's keep reading. This is back in Mark chapter 4. It says, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, Mark is a cut to the chase kind of guy. Okay? Uh, y'all ever watch Doug Dynasty? Y'all see the Christmas special? Anyone see the Christmas special? Cut to the chase, Chase. That's okay. This is cut to the chase, Mark. Okay, he's got no time to to to, to mess around. Okay, you see, you see, just like how Israel was in a, a dismayed spot in time, just how John was in a dismayed spot in time when John the Baptist came up. When Mark wrote his gospel, the. The whole land was pretty much screwed. See, Mark wrote his gospel in 70 to 80 AD. That's right after the death of Christ, okay? And Mark was a lawyer who kind of followed Peter around, and he was listening to the story of Jesus through the account of Peter. And so the book of Mark can really just almost be called almost the book of the gospel of Peter as well, because it's the same account of what Peter went through with Jesus. See, Mark never hung out with Jesus, but Peter did. But when Mark came up and when Mark was writing this book, he said, okay, I'm a cut-to-the-chase kind of guy. Right now, we're being persecuted by Rome. The Roman army had surrounded the city of Jerusalem at the time and actually cut off all water, all food, all supplies to Jerusalem. And when they did that, they, they literally took people and they started to make them starve to death inside the walls of Jerusalem. They did it for weeks. And so this is the, the audience that, that Mark is coming to. Uh, they were so hungry that they were actually starting to eat their children. They were starting to eat the elderly. This is true. And so when Mark started writing, and it's gross, it's grotesque. You're like, I saw Paranormal Activity 4 last night, and it's, it's not as bad as that. And so when Mark rolls up into the scene, he starts writing this gospel, and he says, guys, guys, listen, listen, there is hope. As you're gnawing on the arm of your brother over there, there is hope. You see, the scene of the, of the time was just chaos. People were just, just, they were disappointed. They were depressed. And this is what Mark chooses to write to. Not a happy bunch, but in the middle of chaos, he chooses to write his gospel. Okay? He is a cut-to-the-chase kind of guy. He, he was the first one to write his gospel of all the four gospels. He was the first one to write the gospel. He uses the word immediately over 41 times in his gospel. If you, don't want, if you haven't figured out that he is like trying to hurry up and tell you something, he mentions it 41 times immediately, immediately, immediately following, immediately after that, immediately this. Immediately, He says that. And he's also the shortest gospel. So if I'm going to pick one gospel to carry around with me forever, it's going to be the gospel of Mark because it's the shortest one. It's a cut-to-the-chase type of gospel. Its primary goal in writing to the reader was to say this. When we talk about this, this is why we call it the king and the cross. You say that Jesus is the son of God. He is the king. And if you trust in him because he died for you, you will have eternal life. And that's the gospel of Mark. In a nutshell. So right out the gate, he's just talking about just, just this radical call. This radical calling. This radical need for something awesome. You know what his calling is? What he's trying to get to right out the gate is a call for radical repentance. 
Now I can start my sermon. This was, that was just the beginning of the sermon. That was just the intro. The title of the sermon is Radical Repentance. Mark starts off with radical repentance. Look, check this out here again in um, chapter, in verse 3. I'm sorry, verse 4. If we go through the book in the next few chapters, we're going to find three ways that we can have radical repentance in our life. Three ways we can have radical repentance in our lives. Verse 4 of Mark, chapter 1. It says, John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed in camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and he even ate locusts and wild honey. Talk about yummy and organic. And he preached, saying, uh, he said, After me comes he who is mightier than I, who's the strap of whose sandals I am not even weary to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. If you're going to live radically, a life of radical repentance, the first thing you need to know if you write this down is radical repentance means to publicly announce your repentance. Publicly announce your repentance. Now, I'm not talking about being repentive. I'm talking about being radically repentive. Radically, re- re- just radical in the way you live. Because we all can confess a sin behind a closed door and be okay with that. But to be radical is to confess it publicly. See, radical repentance means publicly announcing your repentance. It says here, so John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, okay? In light, there is no darkness. That's why we, we, we talk about community here at Impact City Church. One of the biggest reasons why community is so hard to do anywhere is that everything that is hidden will be shown. Because when you live in community, when you're so close to someone, it's really hard to hide things. And so when you confess your sins to each other, when you confess your sins to one another, that stuff is brought to light. And now it's, there's accountability there. Accountability where someone can, can hold you accountable. Landon is making me laugh so bad. Oh, God. Okay, uh, so we guys, we know this through, if you've grown up in church history, if you've grown up in church culture, you know that baptism is where you confess Christ to everyone, okay? And what, what, what we're doing here is John is saying that you have to confess it to the world. You have to confess it to everyone. He is baptizing people, and when he's in baptizing people, he's saying, what do you proclaim? He's, and the people complain that, that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, and that's what we say when we get baptized. But when they get baptized, back when John was baptizing, they were saying, what are you proclaiming? And they believe that, that, that there is a, an act of repentance there. They're professing their sin and putting their trust in Yahweh, in the God of Israel at the time. And that was what baptism was all about. And it is today still. We'll talk about baptism a lot more next week. But baptism and your faith is never a private issue. 
You might say, well, I, I, I worship Jesus on Sunday. I come to church on Sunday, and I, I do my thing every once in a while during the week. I might, I might serve somewhere, but other than that, when I'm at work, my faith is private. It is no one's business what I believe and why I believe it. My faith is my thing, and it doesn't matter what everyone else believes, but my faith is my thing. This is my thing. I will guard it. I will not let anyone know what I believe. Beloved, if that is you today, I'm going to tell you with love and respect, that is a really wrong attitude to have about your faith. Because we have been changed by Jesus, we need to have an outward showing of that in our lives. Our faith was never meant to be private. Your faith is meant to be shouted from the rooftops. The Bible says that what good is it to do to light up a, a lamp and then hide it under a bushel? It says that when you have been lit up by the love of Christ and by the love of and the, the power of God, that you're to let that light shine to everyone. And so if that is something you struggle with, that's okay. But know that we are to come to a point where our faith is a public thing. When people look and say, man, that guy over there, that's a, that's a Christian. I can see it in the way he lives. The one, the one reason why we don't like to share our faith is because we don't want to be held accountable. Because once people know we're Christians, then we're going to be under the microscope. I had a buddy of mine tell me today, he said, man, Felix, or, or, uh, yesterday he goes, man, Felix, I never thought that becoming a Christian was going to be so hard. I never thought it was going to be hard. I thought that I'd become a Christian, everything gets easier. Because, man, I was totally wrong for saying that. He, he said this, he goes, I didn't realize that getting baptized was actually getting enlisted in the army of God. He goes, before when I would sin, the devil would leave me alone because I was of no threat because I didn't believe in Jesus. And what does it matter? But now that I believe in Jesus, the devil knows where I'm at all the time on his radar. And he is constantly attacking me. That is why we need to have a repentance of announcing it publicly. We need to be a, of a public repentance. To say, hey, brother, I have screwed up. I sinned. I did this. Please, I mean, help me get through this. You look at any type of, uh, you know, AA, NA, whatever type of uh, program, the number one thing is to live a life of openness with each other. It goes for the gospel. It goes for the community of Jesus Christ. So number one was radically, a radical repentance means publicly announcing your repentance. And number two, radical repentance means being serious about your repentance. Number two means radical repentance means being serious about your repentance. Look at with me on verse five. It says, and all the country of Judea and Jerusalem, all the country, listen, all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him, were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Back in the day of John, when John rolled up on scene before Jesus Christ was around, the act of baptism wasn't even around for the Jewish people. It was an act reserved for the Gentiles. The Gentiles were pretty much anyone else besides the Jews. And the reason why the act of baptism was so important for the Gentiles was because it showed that everyone around them, it showed everyone around them in the countryside because it was a public display. It showed that everyone around them, that the Gentile was going to denounce his pagan gods and start following Yahweh. 
it was saying that this is my proclamation, this is my declaration that I am going to drop everything else and I'm going to start following the God of Israel. And for us, that's Jesus Christ. And they, they were following Jesus, they just didn't know it yet. And that is why it is so serious. Because if you read here, John's baptizing the country of Judea and Jerusalem. It says later on that they're confessing their sins. If you're a Jewish man or woman of the time, and you're having to publicly be baptized like a Gentile, that's almost degrading. But they were serious enough about their belief and their repentance for a Messiah and a Savior. They were willing to be publicly humiliated and be made fun of by their friends to be baptized like the Gentiles were. John comes up on the scene and he just blows everything out of the water. He says, this is what we think is serious for the the unbeliever. I say, you guys are all unbelievers. I say, we all need the God of Israel. I say, we all need this this Messiah. And if you're serious about it, if you're really dead serious about it, you people of Judea and Jerusalem, you will be baptized just like the Gentiles are. Which means that we're going to live a life of radical repentance. We have to be serious about what we're doing. That we can't take it lightly. That we can't play around and dabble in the things of the world and still try to keep one foot in the world and one foot out of the world. It doesn't work that way. We've got to be serious about it. If we're going to follow Jesus and we're going to be followers of Christ and live a life of radical repentance, we have to be willing to erase all the bad contacts from our phone. You got to be willing to separate yourself from the people who bring you down. You got to be willing to make physical roadblocks in your life to prevent you from sinning more and more and more. You got to be willing to be an army that sets up a dugout to prevent the enemy from attacking. You got to be willing to do the hard work it takes to be a follower of Christ. Radical repentance means that you're serious and it doesn't matter what people think about you. That people might say, oh, oh, you're so weird because you don't do this when we're out with friends. You're like, well, I don't care because Jesus is my God. You're so weird because by this age, you should be at this stage in life because the world says by this age, you should have this, this, and this, and that. You're like, I don't care. I'm waiting for my love in Jesus Christ. I'm going to be standing firm in the man that God has for me. And I don't care what comes my way. I'm not going to be shaken from that. Forget you, world. I want Jesus. Gotta be serious about our love for Jesus and be serious about our radical repentance. And number three, if you're taking notes, radical repentance means you gotta tell everyone. This goes back to our our talk about it being a private issue. Verse seven says this, and John preached, saying, After me comes He who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. Who is he talking about, ladies and gentlemen? Jesus. (laughs) He's talking about Jesus. He says, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, John was radical enough, right? I mean, he dressed in camel's hair. He had a leather belt on. Okay, the dude ate locusts with honey. The dude's just a redneck. I mean, like, totally countrified 
hillbilly. I mean, the dude probably had a beard on. He probably had like animals in the beard. He was probably all wicked crazy looking. The dude was wild. He, would, he was crazy, man. But you know what's even more crazy than the way he dressed and how radical he was? Was the message that he preached. He preached about Jesus. He preached about Jesus to everyone. It didn't matter who was there. He said he preached to all the land of Judea. All of Jerusalem came around. And everyone heard the message about the guy who was coming, who was going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. If we're to be followers of Christ, if we're to be uh, followers who have a radical repentance, we have to be willing to tell everyone. You're like, what do you mean everyone? I mean everyone. I mean like the guy at Starbucks. Tell that dude. The guy who laughs at you because you're a Christian. Tell that dude. The girl who's living in sin that you're like, that you see and you're a little hesitant to be around. Yeah, go and, you know, lose some self-righteousness to go talk to that person. The people who are just struggling with sin, love on them. Tell them about Jesus. And let me tell you something else. The people who are not struggling with sin, tell them about Jesus Christ. One thing I learned when I first started becoming a pastor, I realized that there was a lot of quote-unquote Christians who were not going to heaven because they think that they're okay, because they think that they have it all down with Jesus. They think that because, because everything is good that it's okay. But they've never surrendered fully to Christ. They never had that radical repentance. They just repented one time. They said a prayer. Uh, they had a feeling in their gut whenever they were at a, a youth rally or something like that. Or they went up to the stage one day and they did an altar call. And then they never got any type of follow-up with discipleship after that. Tell everyone about Jesus. Family members, grandparents, sons, daughters, brothers, sisters, cousins, friends, strangers. Tell them about Jesus. Mark starts his account of the gospel of Jesus with a call for radical repentance. Something that we all should be living like in our hearts of radical repentance. We should be living with repentant souls with a radical need to share the gospel with of the one who saved us, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. If that is not in us, we need to question what is. We're going to be studying radical as we get into this next week, and that book is all about pushing your faith. I guarantee you read that book, you will become a stronger Christian if you do what it says and if you follow through. And it might make you question things about yourself, and that's a good thing. Listen, we're called to challenge and encourage each other daily. And this is what Mark is doing. Call for radical repentance. Throughout this series and the next year and throughout 2014, I pray that the gospel pierces all of our hearts to become better and stronger followers of Christ so that we can reach out to the community around this church and love and reach out to people who normally would never come to church. Think about all of your pasts. Were you guys raised in church, or was this something that was new? This is something that's mostly new to most of us here. It's a new way. It, 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 it's not, what well, I said last week, we weren't called to redefine the way to do church. We were called here at Impact City to refine the way God defined the church. And that's what we want to do throughout this, this, this book, The Gospel. 
So I tell you this, and I challenge you with this, and I'll leave you with this. Take risks in 2014. Live, and live by faith more. Pray more. Fast more. And have a life of radical repentance. Let's pray. God, as, as we just reflect upon uh, all that you have done for us, we're thankful for the, just the repentance, the, the, the ability to repent to you, Lord. The ability to come up to you and be able to say that, that you are holy, that we love you and we praise you, Lord. We thank you for that. God, we just give you glory. We give you praise for all that you have done. God, we pray that this gospel pierces our hearts throughout the next year. And that we may live a life of radical repentance for you, Lord. As in Jesus Christ, we humbly pray. Amen.